And now today we're, um, we're looking at Psalm 32, the psalm that was read earlier. And this is the last sermon in this mini-series we're doing called Every Moment Holy. And this whole, um, this past month we've been looking at the book of, of Psalms, which show us that every moment of life can be lived before the face of God. Every moment of life can be an occasion for prayer. Every emotion can be expressed in prayer. And so as we look at Psalm 32, let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we need you this morning. Lord, we need to hear your words. And Lord, we thank you that you are not a silent God, but you have spoken. Not only have you spoken to us, but you've given us words to guide us in how we speak to you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that the reading and the preaching of your word will be blessed by you, that you will be at work among us, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here together will be pleasing to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among there are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. Our country's creed, our nation, is built on the idea that we should be able to pursue happiness, that is a God-given right, that is self-evident, that it is our God-given right to pursue our own happiness. And we do, don't we? We pursue it. I sure know I want to be happy, and I know that you want to be happy. A hundred percent of people want to be happy a hundred percent of the time. No one wants to be unhappy. We all want to be happy, and we pursue it. We build our lives around happiness. We do the things, we make the decisions that we think will make us happy. We choose our school and our friends and our spouse and our careers to make us happy. And then when we don't feel happy, what do we do? We get on Amazon or eBay and we start clicking. We buy something else to make us happy. Or maybe if you're like me, you start planning the next meal or the next vacation. You look at the price of airline tickets because you think maybe if I'm somewhere else, I can be happy. And if that doesn't work, we think, you know what? Something must be wrong. If I'm not happy, then I've got to do something to get happy. Maybe if I had different friends, maybe if I had a different spouse, maybe if I had a different job, I'd be happy. Maybe if I lived in a different city, I'd be happy. And so we make changes. And in spite of our pursuit of happiness, studies tell us that in America, where we have this right to pursue our own happiness, only 30% of people claim to be happy. So in spite of all of our pursuits of happiness, they still come up short. You know, I got a, a great reminder of this walking in this morning as I saw the roads are, are just littered with confetti and champagne corks. You know, the testimony of the fleeting happiness. The champagne bottle is dry. The confetti has made its way to the ground. Happiness is like sand slipping through our fingers. It, we just can't seem to grasp it. And so when all those other things that we do to make us happy don't work, then we, um, if you're like me, you start listening to the TED Talks, you start reading the op-eds, and you think, maybe there's a secret to happiness. Maybe there's something that I can do that, where I don't have to change 
my circumstances. I can just change myself. So we start to um, go down the trails of clickbait and looking at all the articles to tell us how to be happy. We're looking for the secret recipe. And so we end up minimizing our lives. We downsize. We simplify. We meditate. We practice mindfulness. We try to be present in the moment because we want to be happy because it's our God-given right to be happy. But wait a minute. Does God really want us to be happy? Did God really give us an inalienable right to pursue our own happiness? Well, if you're expecting me to say no, you'd be wrong. Um, In fact, I believe that God does want us to be happy because I believe that he is a happy God, but it may not always look like we expect it or want want it to look. In fact, Psalm 32 is about happiness, and it teaches us some things about happiness. So we're going to look at three points. If you are a note taker, this is for you. Um, God is a happy God. And so we're going to look at these three points. God wants us to be happy, why we aren't happy, and how to be happy. So God wants us to be happy. Now, that may make you cringe a little bit. There may be some, um, some friction in hearing that statement. What does that mean? God wants us to be happy. Well, maybe, maybe there's not any friction. Maybe you think, of course. And, and we've, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we looked at sorrow. And we said a lot of times, maybe, maybe you grew up in a Christian tradition that said, you know what, turn that frown upside down. Or maybe you're saying, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. And everybody claps their hands. You're saying, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Maybe you were from a, from a community that said, it's your, your duty to be happy. You should fake happiness if you're not happy. You should just try to be happy and be happy in spite of anything else or what you're feeling. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, about how God is, is also acquainted with sorrow and faith has many faces. And in the heart of God, joy and sorrow um, are not mutually exclusive. But maybe that wasn't the community you came from. Maybe you've you've come from another community where you said that um, it's, it's not right to be happy. Maybe you were suspect of happiness. This can't be true. God doesn't want us to be happy. Maybe you've even said God never promises us that we'll be happy. Um, according to a man named Randy Alcorn, he wrote a book on happiness. And he said, for the past hundred or so years, Christians have been suspicious of happiness. If you go back and look at the theology of the early church and throughout the ages, you didn't see the suspicion, but about a hundred years ago, he says you start to see a suspicion of happiness. And what we've done is we've pitted joy and happiness against one another. We've said happiness is is a temporary fleeting thing, but joy is abiding. We've said happiness is external, but joy is internal. Some have said happiness is a feeling, but joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Some people will say happiness is worldly and secular, but joy is Christian. Some people, you'll even find in the past hundred years, Christians saying, happiness is sinful. You shouldn't be happy. It's a sin to be happy. 
But the problem is, there's not a biblical distinction between joy and happiness. Now, what we're saying in those words, we might be getting at something true, that we are promised something that is abiding, that doesn't change in spite of our circumstances. But when you look at the Bible, you won't see a distinction between joy and happiness. One, one pastor named John Piper put it this way. He said, if you have nice little categories for joy is what Christians have and happiness is what the world has, you can scrap those when you go to the Bible because the Bible is indiscriminate in its uses of the language of happiness and joy and contentment and satisfaction. The Bible is full of joy. The Bible is a book of joy. And we see it in this psalm. And the reason why the, the Bible is so full of joy, the reason why you see it so often, is because we, we worship a joyful God. See, we believe that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this, this mysterious triune God. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have, throughout all eternity, lived in harmony in what C.S. Lewis calls the dance of God, perfect love, perfect joy, perfect laughter, perfect community. So God exists in community, and he exists in joy. And that's why when we look at this psalm, the very first word out of the gate is blessed. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Now we can see that word blessed and skip over it. We typically think of, you know, we say I'm blessed when we've got something. When we get something that we like, I'm blessed. Um, but in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this word blessed actually means happy. In the, in the Hebrew here in Psalm 32, it's asherah. It means how happy. It's a, a heightened state of happiness and joy. And we see this throughout the Bible. We even see the Bible describing God as blessed. In Timothy, Paul says that sound doctrine is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. He's saying that it's good news that God is gloriously happy. God is blessed. God is happy. Is that how we typically think of God? Is that an attribute that we typically include in our doctrines of God or our theology of God? It's all through the Bible. We're even told to bless the Lord, to make him happy. And in return, we are told that we are blessed in him. When Jesus began his ministry, he began it by inaugurating the year of Jubilee. He began it with joy. And as we've read already today, he began the Sermon on the Mount with that same word, blessed, happy. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Psalm 37 tells us to delight in the Lord. And the prophets were told that, that God rejoices in doing good. We're even told in Zephaniah chapter 3.17 that God exalts, which may sound like exalt, but it's actually an old word that means being full of joy. God exalts over his people with loud singing. He rejoices over us with gladness. And we know from the personality of Jesus that even though he was the man of sorrows, who was acquainted with grief, who suffered and was a suffering servant, he was also a man of joy. He went to parties and he told jokes. He was even called a, a friend of sinners and a, and a drunkard and a glutton because he had fun with people. He spent time with sinners. 
And not only is God happy, but he also wants us to be happy and share in his happiness. Jesus said, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, The point of my ministry is to share my joy with you. That's why I'm doing these things. That's why I'm preaching these things, to make you joyful, to make you happy. A theologian named Jonathan Edwards put it this way, the happiness Christ gives to his people is a participation of his own happiness. So if you're not convinced at this point that God is happy and wants us to be happy, let me ask you this question. Who, to whom does happiness belong? If it doesn't belong to God, does it belong to the enemy? I'm not willing to give him happiness. Happiness belongs to the Lord. He is the source of all true happiness. And throughout the ages, Christians have looked at the enemy and looked at sin as the source of misery and holiness and obedience to the Lord who is happy and full of joy as the path to happiness and joy. And when we look at this psalm, we even see him commanding us to rejoice. If we look at verse 11, it says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That phrase, shout for joy, we even see that throughout the Psalms and throughout the Old Testament. We see it 53 times to shout for joy. God tells us to be glad, to be joyful. So, um, when God redeemed his people, he brought them into the land, he gave them these good gifts, he told them to be joyful and to rejoice in him. So, if, if God is happy and God commands us to be happy, and David begins this psalm by saying, happy and blessed, then we have to ask the question, why aren't we happy? And so that's point two, why aren't we happy? We want to be happy, as I said all the time, why is it so elusive? David tells us in verse three and four, he said, when I kept silent, he's talking about his sin, when he hid his sin, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. The David says we're unhappy when we hold on to our sin. We're unhappy when we hide our sin. Now, what does that have to do with happiness? What he's saying is that when I hid my sins, when I, when I didn't bring them to the Lord, when I held on to them and I didn't confess them, it actually resulted in misery and heaviness. When I was inauthentic, when there was deceit in me, I actually started to waste away. Now, we know that this is true in most of our human relationships, right? When we are inauthentic, when we, are, when we hide ourselves, it brings us fear. I think of a short story by David Foster Wallace called Good Old Neon. He said, my whole life I've been a fraud. I'm not exaggerating. Pretty much all I've ever done all the time is try to create a certain impression of me and other people, mostly to be liked or admired. It's a little more complicated than that, maybe. But when you come right down to it, it's to be liked, loved, admired, approved of, applauded, whatever. You get the idea. See, for the, the protagonist of good old Neon, he lived his whole life as a fraud in order to be 
liked and admired by other people. But he knew that he was a fraud, and it didn't give him the happiness that he wanted. Now, David says we can also hide from the Lord. And when we hide our sins from him, it also brings us misery. And I think there's something about sin that actually robs us of happiness. If we understand this, we'll see why David can say that when he held on to his sin, it made him unhappy. See, we are, we are sinners that need to be redeemed. David Foster Wallace understands that. We need to be liked and loved and accepted. And so we spend our lives trying to vindicate ourselves, trying to make ourselves right, trying to justify ourselves. And if we do that, if we're trying to justify ourselves, then we always come up empty. And so if we're not redeemed by the Lord, we're not redeemed. If we're not redeemed by the Lord, then our sins are still held against us. We're still not justified. But I think there's another reason that sin robs us of happiness, and it's because sin tells us that we don't have enough. We need something else. This is the serpent's lie in the garden, right? Adam and Eve had every good thing. God created them in his image. He walked with them in the garden. He gave them all this food to eat. He gave them everything they could need. There was no sin. There was no brokenness. And what did the serpent say? There's one thing you don't have. Why don't you eat from that tree? And then you will be fulfilled. Then you will have everything you need. See, that's the lie that sin tells us. No matter how much you have, it tells us you don't have enough. You aren't enough. You need more. If you listen to those TED Talks on happiness, what you'll find is, um, is a scientist named Dan Gilbert. He gave one of the most popular TED Talks of all time. It's called The Surprising Science of Happiness. And in it, he talked about our pursuit of happiness is never really over. The more things we pursue, the more things we want. And he said it this way. He said, ambition, when it's unbounded, it leads us to lie, to cheat, to steal, to hurt others, to sacrifice things of real value. Fears, when they're unbounded and overblown, overblown, we become reckless and cowardly. See, sometimes even the pursuit of happiness brings us misery. Randy Alcorn put it this way. He says, the enemy wraps sin in happiness wrappers. Pornography, gossip, cheating, lying, whatever it is, it promises some happiness. If it didn't promise happiness, we wouldn't do it. And the thing is, it's wrapped in happiness. It has a, a happiness wrapper. So it feels like it's giving us happiness, but then when we unwrap it, it doesn't last. It's not abiding, and we need more. Viktor Frankl said it this way, it's the very pursuit of happiness that thwarts happiness. We think we're going to get it, and it doesn't deliver. And that's the message of sin. That is the message that you're never enough, you never have enough. You always need more. And I think this may be why two-thirds of Americans say that they're unhappy. That's the reason why we're unhappy in our marriages, in our careers, in our city, in our home. And I think part of it is because to say that we're happy is somewhat vulnerable, isn't it? To say that I'm happy seems so final and resolved. Are you happy? 
Are you happy in your marriage? Are you happy in your career? If you say yes, it feels like, well, is this the best? Is this, is this as good as it gets? Is this all there is? If I'm happy now, then maybe something else that could bring me happiness. Maybe I'm saying no to that future thing. I think we can't abide happiness for fear that it won't last because of its fleeting nature. We're afraid. And so what David is telling us about sin here is that sin promises happiness and it gives us a little bit, but it doesn't deliver the abiding happiness that we need because if our sins are not redeemed, we still have to justify ourselves. And he gives us some concrete things here. He's not just saying in general, sin steals our happiness. He's saying that when we hold our sins in, it keeps us from the source of happiness. Sin keeps us from God himself. So, the reason we're not happy is because of sin. Because we try to justify ourselves. Because we chase the fleeting happiness that it promises. And David tells us the way to be happy. The way to be happy, he tells us in verse um, 1 through 2 and 5 through 6, he says this way. Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. He goes on to say, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Happy is the one who what? Happy is the one who never sins. No, he doesn't say it that way. Happy is the one whose sins are easily hidden? No, he doesn't say it that way. Happy is the one who rarely sins? No, he says happy is the one whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Happy is the one who's been redeemed. Reminds me of an interview with Bob Dylan years ago in the Rolling Stone. It was, I think, his second interview he ever gave to that magazine. And they asked him, you've been touring almost your entire life. Is that a fulfilling kind of life? Is it fulfilling to live on the road touring um, decade after decade? And in typical Bob Dylan fashion, he said, well, no kind of life is fulfilling if your soul isn't redeemed. David says, no matter what you pursue for happiness, it will not fulfill you if your soul isn't redeemed. Happy is the one whose sins are forgiven. Happy is the one whose sins are atoned for, whose sins are covered. Happy is the one who confesses their sins, who lives in authenticity with the God who created them. Now, In other words, he's saying happiness is the feeling that you get when you understand that your righteousness can never be lost, can never be taken away. Happiness is the feeling you get when you live in harmony with God, the God of joy and happiness. Happiness is the feeling you get when you know that you will live with him forever and that he has promised you an abiding and secure happiness. This is good news for David because David is a sinner. Uh, If you know his story, you know that he was a warrior. He had a lot of blood on his hands. Um, He even committed adultery, slept with a woman, and murdered her husband. And so for David, it is good news 
that his sins are forgiven. It is good news that his sins are covered. It's good news that he's received mercy. And it's God's mercy that makes him happy. So he counted it joy that he was forgiven. See, remember the Beatitudes? What does Jesus say? Blessed, happy are those who mourn. How can that be? That, that seems like a paradox, right? Happy are the sad. But, but then he tells us why. For they will be comforted. They will be comforted by God. Happy are the sinners whose sins are forgiven because they receive the mercy of the Lord. And so here in this psalm, we see that our true happiness comes from knowing God and from knowing his mercy. And because of that, David confessed his sins to the Lord. And you hear this beautiful passage. As we've heard week after week, these psalms end with these promises, this like covenantal language. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. He's saying, if you know the Lord, you know happiness. Salvation is not just a legal transaction where your sins are dealt with. Salvation is a personal, relational action where you actually get reconciled to the God who made you. And that's why David can say, I confessed my sins and I found happiness. See, if, how you believe, what you believe about Jesus influences what you do with your sins. If you believe that God, if you believe that God is going to shun you, if he's going to drive you away, then you'll hide your sins. But if you believe that he is a God of mercy, then you will run to him with your sins. See, David could say, that happiness is found in the Lord when he confessed his sins. He could confess his sins only because he believed that God was a merciful God who had mercy on sinners. Because of that, he could run to the Lord and receive mercy. Because he knew that God is actually happy to forgive. God is a happy God, and one of the things that makes him happy is forgiving sinners. He loves to show mercy. And because he knew that about the Lord, he brought his sins to him and he received the mercy of the Lord and he was able to join in the happiness of God. So that's the paradox that confession leads to happiness. But you're thinking, wait, so if I just confess my sins, I'll be happy. Is that what you're telling me? Well, yes and no. Yes, that is what David is saying. If you confess your sins to the Lord and you know that you are forgiven, you will receive an abiding happiness. But the way you get that happiness is because you know that at last, you know that in God's kingdom, which comes to us, this future kingdom, we will be happy forever. See, if we look to the cross and we see that Jesus, who we already said was in this eternal dance of God, eternally happy, gave up his happiness and became a man of sorrow and suffered for our sake. We see that Jesus suffered in order to secure for us our eternal happiness. And so for the Christian, we actually get to lean into our future 
and say, I know that I will be happy someday, and that can never be taken. I know that I'll be happy because I'll be with the Lord, and all sin will be dealt with fully and finally. See, for the Christian, we already said that that sin is wrapped in happiness wrappers. But for the Christian, everything is redeemed for our good and for God's glory. This means that everything that happens to us in life, no matter what it is, when we unwrap it, it actually is our own happiness. For us, everything is redeemed for good. A pastor named Tim Keller put it this way. He said, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the oncoming sorrows. This is what I was talking about earlier. We don't want to abide happiness because we're afraid it'll be taken away. He says, other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys for seeing the coming sorrows. Christianity empowers people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. Because of that, because of the coming joy, the coming kingdom of the Lord, we get to borrow happiness from the future. Even in the midst of trouble and sorrow, we still know that our sins are forgiven. We know that we will live forever with God. And so we can have a joy and a happiness that resides with sorrow, even in the midst of sorrow. And we can do that because God secured our eternal happiness on the cross and in the resurrection. And Jesus promises his kingdom to come. Now, for David, he understood that happiness was an act of faith. All those commands that we talked about, to be glad and to rejoice, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to be glad in the Lord, to delight in him, how do we fulfill those commands? We do it by faith. We don't just simply wait for happiness to come upon us. We cultivate happiness. And I'm going to give us just four ways that we can practically do that. Um, First is to see that happiness is an act of faith and worship. Our liturgy every week is a festival of happiness. We get to practice Psalm 32 every week, and we've already done it. As we confess our sins to the Lord, as we are authentic about who we are and honest about ourselves before Him, we come in here and we take off our mask and we tell God, this is who I am. These are my sins. And in return, we hear His mercy and His pardon. And we get to rejoice in that. So faith and worship is a way to cultivate happiness. And hearing that that God is merciful actually redefines how we see happiness. And we see happiness in that kingdom that is coming that we get to share in now. The second thing is that happiness is a spiritual discipline. Um, This means that we have to cultivate happiness. And one of the ways we do this is through gratitude. It's through looking around at all the good gifts that God has given us and receiving them with thanks. You know, when God led his people into the promised land, he didn't say, hey, there's a land flowing with milk and honey. Go in there and don't enjoy any of it. He said, no, there's a land flowing with milk and honey and pomegranates and dates and barley and all these great things that I am giving you. Enjoy them. Isn't this what he said to Adam and Eve in the garden? Look, I'm giving you all this fruit. Enjoy it. And so one of the ways we worship, one of the ways we cultivate happiness is through gratitude. 
It's through saying, because my soul has been redeemed, because my, that inner murmur of self-reproach has been dealt with, because I'm accepted and loved by God, I can actually enjoy these things he gives me as gifts. I can give thanks. I don't rely on these things to bring me abiding happiness. And I don't lament that they're gone when they're fleeting because I know that I have the redemption of the Lord and I will live in his kingdom forever so I can enjoy these things now as promises of the good things to come. I can enjoy them as gifts from the God who loves me. And so the way to cultivate gratitude is to celebrate. And we can do this together. We can go to picnics at the mission and celebrate the good things that God has given us. We can get together in our community groups and celebrate when someone is given a job promotion. We can celebrate when our kid graduates from kindergarten because kindergarten is hard. And that's something to celebrate. We can celebrate, we can give thanks to God for every good and perfect gift that comes from Him because all happiness comes from the Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. And so we receive these good things with joy and we cultivate spiritual discipline looking not to the gift, but to the gift giver. Not looking just to his hand, but to his face. And so as we do, as we celebrate and, and give thanks, we do it in relationship to God. The third thing is to see that happiness is actually a fruit of being near the Spirit, of being near God. Um, and what I mean by that is that when we spend time with God, when we know Him, when we understand His character, when we spend time in prayer and worship, we actually get to participate in His happiness. Um, C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, said that when you, that the fruit of the Spirit should be thought of in this way: when you draw near to a fire, you get warm; when you draw near to a waterfall, you get wet; when you draw near to God, you get the fruits of the Spirit. And so when you spend time with the Spirit, you get the happiness and the joy. You get to participate in the joy that, that the Trinity has with one another. And then fourth, happiness is a participation in the future. There are many times when the present moments are full of trials, full of affliction and suffering. And as we said two weeks ago, we live in a broken world and there are many times when grieving is maybe the godliest thing we can do, lamenting the brokenness of the world. And even in those moments, we get to borrow happiness from the future, to live that happiness in the present. This is what I mean. We allow the future to be enough for us when the present, is, when the present isn't. See, even in the midst of sorrows, we know there is a party awaiting us. There's a feast awaiting us. And so even in those moments, we receive comfort knowing that the only source of true delight is the Lord. And one day, He will come again. And one day, the kingdom of God will be fully and finally realized here. And at the marriage feast of the Lamb, we will party and we will celebrate and we will be glad because every pain and sorrow and sin has been dealt with. And in the moment of our suffering and sorrow, that gives us hope. And that gives us joy. And I would even call it happiness. Because we know that God has dealt with our enemies 
and the story isn't over. Happy is the one whose sins are forgiven. Happy is the one who knows God. Happy is the one who knows their Redeemer. Happy is the one who knows the source of all true delight. Happy is the one who will live forever with God and his kingdom. For happy is the one who creates and redeems. Happy is the God who forgives, and he is happy to do it. So now let's go to him in prayer and gratitude. We've already confessed our sins. We've already heard the assurance of pardon. And now the band's going to come up and teach us a song based off this psalm and give us the opportunity to rejoice. As Jesus said to his, to his disciples, rejoice not. You know, when they went out and they cast out demons, they came back and they were happy that they had power. And he said, rejoice not that the demons have listened to you. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. And so we get to do that together today as we cultivate happiness through worship.